Welcome to the Purpose City Church Podcast, where we're dedicated to guiding you on a journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. We're thrilled to have you here, and regardless of where you're tuning in from, we have faith that this message will be a direct source of inspiration in your life. So now we are concluding our current series, which is called We. We've been talking all month long about the power of unity and why it's a kingdom principle and why God is establishing it here at Purpose City. I don't know if you know this, but one of the things God said about us is that we are a blueprint for others to follow. Why would we need to be a blueprint? Because nobody's building anything like this. You look around, ask around. You don't see a church that's committed to making space for everyone to feel at home, right? So we are intentionally multi-ethnic, meaning that we welcome all races. Whether you clap on the one and the three, or the two, the, the two and the four, you're welcome here. We all gonna get through the song together, right? Not only that, we're intentionally intergenerational, right? We value the voice of all generations, and our church is set up, and every church should be set up to where every generation can find their space and their place here. And so the altar's open for Gen Z and millennials to run around, lift up their hands, jump, bow, whatever you want to do. We got coffee for Generation X outside. Right there, it's free. We got earplugs. Come on. We got the earplug ministry for our baby boomers. Because we know that we, we, be, we be turning the music up too loud. I'm sorry. But we got something for everybody on purpose. Why? Because we believe in unity. Unity is where the power is. The book of Revelation says around the throne. It's all tribes, creeds, languages genders, all shouting, holy, holy, holy. We're going to be praising one God with one voice. So why not make it on earth as it is in heaven? Unity is a force that binds us together. It makes us better. It helps us to go out into the world even more equipped because we have more perspectives. We're in relationship with people who aren't just in our bubble. So we're able to witness. We're able to touch maybe people that we wouldn't have been able to touch or witness to before. There's this sense of belonging that comes from unity. When you feel that you're at home with the person to your left and to your right, even if the person to your left and to your right it's different than you. So all month we've been on a journey about unity and exploring the incredible transformation that unity brings to us. And this is the last piece to the puzzle because we're going to be looking at the correlation and the intricate relationship between unity and adversity. Unity and adversity. Now, those two words seem like they are 
opposed to each other. Because unity should bring things together, but adversity exists as barriers to keep things apart. So how can the two coexist and why should we be excited about the fact that they do? Well, it's because adversity precedes advancement. Adversity precedes advancement. In your Bible, any and every time the Lord spoke to someone, spoke to a people about what their next season was, adversity was next. Why? Because when the king talks, not only are you listening, but so is your enemy. You really think he want to see a church like this thrive? Do you really want to see, do you really think he really wants to see you walk in the fullness of your purpose? Survey says no. He doesn't. He would love for you to get distracted and get off course and give up prematurely when things get tough. Surely that's a sign that God isn't in this. Why would all this happen? (laughs) Well, good thing we have a Bible because the Bible is our, our blueprint for life. It's where we find our wisdom. It's where we find our answers. It's where we find our hope. It's where we find him. And so as we take a look at a very, very, very well-known character, his name is the Apostle Paul. He is the man. He wrote so much of this Bible of ours. But he also went through so much adversity doing so. As a matter of fact, and we're going to begin our journey in the 23rd chapter of the book of Acts. This is where the book of Acts is where we're first introduced to the Apostle Paul at Ben. He has been going through trial after trial, literal trials, not trials in the sense of bad things happening, but court, where they have been trying to arrest him. He's had to go to jail. He gets out. They arrest him again, and he's going from region to region because this court says guilty, then this court says not guilty. Then they say, send him to this court. And in the chapter, the 23rd chapter, Paul is yet facing another trial. <laughs> and I got to tell you, I, you know, I don't know how you read the Bible, but I read the Bible the way, the way my brain is set up. There's characters. And so every now and then you hear the Apostle Paul, right? He's very eloquent, very well-spoken, and he thinks these things through and he usually beats people intellectually. But every now and then there's this character that I call Petty P. Petty P pops up. Now, who is Petty P? Now, that's the Apostle Paul. However, it's the Apostle Paul where he's a little bit Apostle Paul and a little bit Saul of Tarsus. Every now and then he says something real smart, and he reminds people, like, I, I ain't the one. So, like, he's on trial in the book of uh, uh, 23rd chapter, and, and, and there's Pharisees, and then there's Sadducees, and they start arguing back and forth about Paul. And you know what Paul did? He said, who y'all talking to? I'm sorry, this is the way the Bible reads in my brain. And he called him a whitewashed wall. He said, you whitewashed wall? Who you think you talking to? 
Now, I was really good growing up at talking stuff. I mean, really good. I mean, fantastic. I can only imagine the response if I looked at somebody after they talked about me and I called them a wall. I don't think that would go over so well. But it went over. The point was made because the point he was trying to make is you put up a good front externally. But internally, you are a mess. And he was saying, who are you to accuse me of anything? You whitewashed wall. And so the Sadducees and the Pharisees literally start scrapping. Uh, That means fighting. They start going at it physically to the point that the centurion had to get Paul out of there because he was afraid that they was going to tear Paul apart when this fight broke out. And so Paul is wondering, what is going on? Like, I'm trying to do the Lord's will. And I'm steady facing all of this adversity and all of these challenges. Have you ever been there? Have you been trying so hard to do the right thing? Trying so hard to live your life on purpose, to live your life in accordance with Scripture, to do what God is telling you to do, and people be tripping. It's annoying. It's discouraging. Can make anybody want to give up. Then an amazing thing happens in the 11th verse. Acts 23 and 11, Paul is worn out with the drama. But in the 11th chapter, it says, That night the Lord appeared to Paul and said, Be encouraged, Paul, just as you have been a witness to me in Jerusalem. You must preach the good news in Rome as well. Can I give you some context why this is a big deal? Because Paul had already been doing the work. This is actually his third missionary trip that we have peered into. He's been planting churches. He's been raising leaders. He's been proclaiming the gospel. But Rome is different. We are not in this room If Paul doesn't make it to Rome, Rome is where the gospel went viral. Rome is the power country citizenship in the entire world during this time. So up to this point, Paul been doing his thing, but it's been to a certain region restricted in its influence. But what He was just told through a prophetic word was that I am about to put you on the biggest stage you have ever been. Now, God shows up and tells you that, that encourages you, wouldn't it? Absolutely. You've been grinding. You've been doing, you turned your whole life around. Trouble has come, but now a word from the Lord raises Your spirits is so amazing when you receive a word from the Lord because prophetic words become anchors. When the the waves start going, when the winds start blowing, when you have a prophetic word over your life, it anchors you for the days, the weeks, the months, and the seasons that are on 
the horizon. The prophetic has power. Let's get this out the way. There's, there's two schools of thoughts when it comes to prophetic words and spiritual gifts. There are some that people call continualists, meaning that they believe that the gifts of the Spirit continue to this day. It wasn't just in Bible times. Then there's another group that says, calls themselves the cessationists, meaning that the gifts have ceased. Let me, let me just exhale real quick. Both groups are going to heaven. It's okay. <laughs> it's, not, it's, not, it's not life or death. It's not heaven or hell issue. It's just an interpretation of Scripture. Here, we believe that the gifts are still alive, that the gifts continue. <laughs> now, if that's new to you, I understand. I was the same way. See, most of my journey with Christ, I was a little pharisaic. I loved the Word of God, and I dove into the Word of God, and I dove into literature and the deep things of God, and I became full of knowledge and void of grace. <laughs> I had no grace. Either you thought what I thought, or you were going to hell. You're a heretic. That's what I told everybody. I told everybody it was a heritage. <laughs> it's a true story. But God and his sovereignty, uh, he helped me grow. He showed me some things in myself that I needed to give to him. And when I gave them to him, when I surrendered, when I was humbled, got off my soapbox, he opened up himself to me even more. So I know last week, like, God told me to tell one of our people something that kind of scared some people. It's okay. What happened was I was minding my business, and God showed me something about someone else, and I brought them up here, and I announced prophetically what God had said over their life. And that's a good thing because prophetic words are anchors. This is what just happened to the Apostle Paul. There was an announcement over his life. Up until this point, he didn't know this, that was spoken to him, that he was going to make it. Because remember, he's on trial. He don't know how this is going to turn out. We get to read the Bible and go through the pages and see how it turns out. But he's in real time trying to figure out what is happening and why. And God says, listen, just like you proclaim my good news in Jerusalem, you're going to take the gospel to Rome. And that prophetic word anchored him. Here's why prophetic words are important, because they provide clarity and direction. Prophetic words offer clarity and direction in the midst of life's uncertainties. A lot of us are trying to figure out a lot of things about our life, and we're at a crossroads. Should I turn left or should I turn right? I don't want to make the wrong move. Sometimes, sometimes, a prophetic word can help you with that. And prophetic words don't always come through people. Sometimes they come from you opening your Bible. Most times, if you read his word, because a prophetic word should sound like his word. Hello? <laughs> it's the same spirit. Same spirit that wrote this should be speaking through the vessel that he chooses. If it sounds different, it's not God. So prophetic words sound like his word. But sometimes life is so uncertain, a prophetic word can unlock some things or give you what you need to continue to move forward, they, they light a path that seemed dark. 
both left and right, I'm unsure. Then a prophetic word comes, whether you open up his Bible or someone gives you a word, you say, oh, I get it now. Now I know what to do. Now I know how to make the decision. The Bible tells us to take every word that is uttered prophetically and try it and pray it through. So you don't just take it and be like, oh, yes, let me do it. No, you got to pray and make sure that you know the source. The next thing is it gives hope and encouragement. Say hope and encouragement. Prophetic words bring a sense of hope and encouragement. They offer the assurance that there is a purpose to the trials and the tribulation. Turn to your neighbor and say, trouble is going to come. <laughs> it is. We don't, we don't preach fantasies over here. We preach the Bible. And trouble will come. And prophetic words are not a get-out-of-trouble-free card. <laughs> but they do provide you hope that there is a point to the trial and the tribulation. I was in Orlando a couple of weeks ago at a conference. I'm there as a pastor and as a friend to the host. And I'm not there as like an attendee. And, and there gets uh, to... One of the nights where um, the, the speaker, the guest speaker, started uh, uh, being led by the Holy Spirit to give out prophetic words to different people in the crowd. And I'm looking around as people are receiving those prophetic words. I'm like, man, why is nobody pulling out their phone and recording? They're going to need to remember this. They're going to need to hold on to it when, when life comes up and turns them left and right. I'm like, dad. And God speaks real quick to me, says, pull out your phone. I'm like, Okay. So I pull out my phone, right? And, and he says, okay, uh, get, get, go to the recorder. So, you know, um, if you're blessed with an iPhone, you know, we have this function where, sorry, where, you, I'm sorry, sorry. Too many Androids in the front row. We need to fix that. And so, uh, you know, when, when uh, iPhones are so masterfully cr crafted that, um, if there are certain apps that you're not using, it'll, it'll offload it so that it could conserve and make sure that the phone is, is moving optimally. So clearly, I haven't used this particular app, the audio recorder app, in a while. And so I had to, I had to hit it for it to re-download, right? And so I'm, I'm just following, okay, okay Lord, this, this conference ain't really about me. And so I hit it, and it starts to download. And as soon as the app downloads, the speaker points to me. I'm like, okay, well, let me hit record. And, and, and he says, you are a tall drink of water. I'm like, okay. All right. I can get with that. I'm 6'3". I get it. And, and he, says, he, says, he says, you know what's weird about, he's talking to everybody, but he's talking about me. He says that, you know what's weird about a bottle of water? He says that at the airport, a bottle of water costs like $8. Right? And he says at the gym, that same bottle of water might be like 6 or $7. And he said that same bottle of water at the grocery store is like a dollar or $2. He said for several seasons, people have been treating you like $2 water when you're really an $8, $9, $10 bottle of water. And he said the season you're about to go into, people are about to see your value for what it actually is. Here's the thing, sometimes about prophetic words is that you get a word that you didn't know that you needed. I didn't know I needed to hear that. 
I'm the type that just keeps on moving. The Lord points me in a certain direction and I go. I don't think. I don't ask no questions. I don't be like trying to figure it out, trying to get people to co-sign it. If God said it, I'm out. But when I heard it, I saw, I looked back over my life and I saw different ways that what he said made complete sense. And I found hope and encouragement from this prophetic word. The last one is his anchors in us in turbulent times. Life is often filled with turbulent waters, unexpected storms, shifting tides. In these moments, a word from the Lord becomes a steadfast anchor, providing us with stability. We're not getting rocked and turned all over the place by the circumstances of life, especially the circumstances that don't feel good. It reminds us, here it is, that we're not alone. Sometimes the devil loves for us to think that what we're going through, nobody else understands. That's a favorite line we tell ourselves. Nobody understands me. Nobody understands this. That's the devil talking a lie to you. The apostle Paul needed this word for what he was already going through. Most importantly, what he was about to go through. He was like me, though. For a good portion of his journey, pre-Christ, he was all about the letter of the law. Prophetic word, what you talking about? There's only the Pentateuch. Some of you are in here like that, too. There's only the word of God as if God can be squeezed in your little box. He can't. He's bigger than you or I. He's bigger than all of our boxes. And so when prophetic words come, it's something that we should pay attention to. Later on, the apostle Paul said it like this in 1 Thessalonians 5 and 19. Don't stifle the Holy Spirit. He's talking to you. Do not scoff at prophecies. He's talking to you. But test everything that is said. Hold on to what is good. We don't scoff at prophecies. We pray them through. So we're going to need them. So I shared with you that he was in a jail cell discouraged when the word of the Lord showed up, told him that he was on his way to Rome. <laughs> Do you know what happened in the next verse? That was Acts 23, 11. This is Acts 23, 12. The next morning, say the next morning. It didn't even take that long. A group of Jews got together and bound themselves with an oath not to eat or drink until they killed Paul. These jokers went on a fast. The word of the Lord says you're going to Rome. The next morning, not even 24 hours, by the time he woke up, there's a group of people who have said, I'm not going to eat or drink nothing until we kill this joke. What do you do? <laughs> when as soon as the word of the Lord comes, here comes the word of your enemies. How do you handle that trouble? How do you handle that pressure? How do you handle that fear? That will inevitably come your way as a result. 
That's what we're going to talk about today in a message that's entitled Broken for the Breakthrough. Broken for the Breakthrough. Sometimes we go through life situations that become so challenging and so overwhelming, we assume that we're headed in the wrong direction. But what if the direction that you're heading, even with all the trouble, even with all the challenges, is a part of God's plans too? I had a subtitle that said, Following Christ in the Midst of Chaos. We love to talk about it when everything is good. We got the job. We found our Boaz. We got the raise. Our kids got the scholarship. God is good, like Fred said, all the time. And all the time. Yes, Lord, won't he do it? But what about, huh? What about when the pink slip comes? What about when the, when the doctor gives you some news that doesn't feel good, that tests every ounce of your faith while you're pursuing the things of God? Where's your shout then? Where's your faith then? Where's your hope then? So you have to understand that adversity is inescapable. Adversity is inescapable. But it's through adversity that we get stronger. Come on. Reminisce real quick, real quick, real quick. You have never prayed harder in your life until trouble came. Could nobody talk you into a fast until adversity showed up? You're like, I'm not, I ain't eating nothing. I need the Lord. Why? Because adversity brings you to his feet like nothing else. When challenges come your way that seem outsized for your skill set, you turn to the Lord like you've never turned to him before. Why? Because God has told us through his word that trials come to refine us, to make us better, stronger, and more durable, to have endurance. That's the point of it all. You need endurance, and the only way you're going to find endurance it's through trials and tribulations, and trials and tribulations doesn't mean that God's not with you. It means that he's making you better for where you're going. He may have told you where you're going without telling you that you're not yet ready to step into the place that he's taking you. And so along the way between here and there, there has to be some refining that needs to take place so that when you arrive, you are equipped for the work that he has for you to do. The Bible is not silent on the power of adversity. Our Bible has stories from front to back of people who faced challenges and found resilience in the midst of their adversity. Here's a point that you need to write down if you are a note taker and you're serious about your journey with the Lord. Our strength becomes even more fortified when we journey through adversity with other believers walking alongside us. 
<laughs> because we is better than me. When the trouble shows up, you're not supposed to run and hide. You're supposed to run and find your brothers and your sisters so that you don't have to carry the weight alone. He doesn't send the troubles and the trials and the refinement as something that you should do alone. He gives you a community if you're, if you're open to it. So you got to understand that your enemy wants you to think that adversity makes you weak. And your king wants you to know that adversity makes you strong. So you have to come to a conclusion as to who's telling the truth. Is this challenge, is this chaos for my good or for my detriment? It depends on which king you want to serve, the one with the capital K or the little K. That will determine how you respond to the challenges that will come your way. And through the life of Apostle Paul, especially this particular journey, Paul teaches that adversity in life, it can take on different forms. And he also demonstrates to us, as you will see, how to properly respond to the adversity when it shows up. And you got to know that everybody here, those of you online, you are on a journey. Nobody in the kingdom is standing still. You're going on a journey. I don't know if you're going forward or backwards. I can't, you know, I'm not here to judge you on that. But you're not standing still. And so when God calls you to do something, he's expecting you to move. God will never show you the whole thing. He'll show you just enough for you to put one foot forward. And after you take that step, a little more gets revealed, and a little more, and a little more. But here's what you got to know about this journey that you're on. There is going to be adversity. The first type of adversity that you're going to experience is slander. Say slander. When people throw dirt on your name. Oh, you think you better than us. Oh, you're doing your little Jesus thing now. Oh, so y'all going to be unified over there at that building on Ginger Woods Parkway, huh? And they start to challenge the credibility of your name. Remember I told you that some folks got together right after the Apostle Paul got the word of the Lord and said they was going to kill old boy? You know how many people it was? It wasn't two or three. Verse 13 says there were more than 40 of them. You know what I mean? How, how messed up it is for 40 people to get together, stop eating just so they can kill one person? They throwing dirt on his name. Verse 14 says, they went to the leading priests and elders and told them, we have bound ourselves with an oath not to eat nothing until we kill Paul. Enduring slander is never easy. You don't, you don't like when people misunderstand you, misquote you, misinterpret what you have to say. In other words, they just missed it altogether. 
And they out there spreading all of this while you're not around, causing other people to look at you crazy. They went 40, 40, say 40. 40 of them said, we're not going to eat. Put the lamb away. Put the wafers away. We are not eating until we kill Apostle Paul. And there's some people, as you pursue the things of God, as you walk in your purpose, who are going to conspire together to get you off track. What you going to do then? When you feel outnumbered, Paul is one person. He got 40 people spread out, unified. This is when unity goes wrong. To kill him. To talk bad about him. To tell everybody that what he's doing is false and off and not of God. What you going to do when they throw dirt on your name? Well, as we keep reading, we find out that in the same way that we can rest assured that as we pursue Jesus, that people will misunderstand our pursuit and slander our name, we can be just as assured in the fact that just because they have slander doesn't take away from the fact that God has soldiers for us, that God fights for us. That we are not alone in the battle if we walk through adversity with unity. That we don't try to pursue this journey in isolation, but that we have accountability. We have people that are praying with us. We have people that are praying for us. Because God never calls you to do anything that he doesn't provide provision for. If he says you're going to Rome, hello, you're going to Rome. Now, now he ain't going to tell you everything that's in between. But you going. There was a 12-month period that was the worst year of my life. March 2003 to March 2004, I was on the sunny shores of Iraq. There wasn't, there wasn't shores. It was, it was a desert. I was a soldier in the middle of combat. All I saw for 365 days was chaos. People literally trying to take my life for 365 days straight. And then they try to give you a little reprieve, right? So you get halfway through your tour and um, they send you home for a couple weeks to kind of recalibrate, and then you got to go back. And so I'm going through chaos. My whole, like, everything around, I'm losing friends. I got to go to these memorial services, stand there, thinking about the friends that I just lost. They were just with me. Some of it I saw in, in, in real time. And so they send you back to the States where you can try to recover. And then, and then I get back to the States, and the second day I'm there, in my presence, when no one else is around, my uncle dies. I'm like, I'm trying to get, I'm trying to get away from death. And here I go. I'm sitting because he was, he was facing a challenge. And so everybody in the family took a rotation and, and took a couple hours. And this was my rotation when he went home to be with the Lord. 
death hits me again. Before my time is up, I got to go to another funeral because Ty loses a cousin in an accident. Now I'm going to my second funeral during my break. Then I got to get back on this plane, 16 hours, back to a combat zone and do it all again. I was beyond worn out emotionally, beyond worn out physically by the time that tour was over. I was broken. I don't know if you've ever been there when life hits you in all these different directions and the only way to describe how you feel is broken. <laughs> not sure who you are, not sure what this life is about, not sure if you're heading in the right direction, not sure what your next step is. But you got to know that God has his soldiers for you because in Acts 23 and 23, we find out that the commander called two of his officers and ordered 200 soldiers ready to leave for Caesarea at 9 o'clock and then another 200 spearmen and another 70 mounted troops. 470. Now, Paul was up against 40. Now, what happened is, while they were out running their mouth about Paul, Paul's nephew got wind of the conversation. Paul's nephew brought the information to Paul, and Paul told his nephew to go tell the guards what they out there trying to do to me. And so the response is they gather 470 soldiers to surround Paul to escort him to safety. That's how God is. He don't just match it. Oh, they got 40, I'm going to send 40. No, he said, I'm going to send 470. Let them try. Let them try. Let them run up, Paul. I got it. Sometimes you need to know that even though it, these people out here talking crazy, I almost said something petty. Let me, even though these people are out here talking about your name and your motivations and your attention, they will never outnumber the soldiers that God has to fight for you, even if he has to fight for you himself, personally. So you got to know that, that, that you got soldiers. Huh? Now, now, now the story continues. He goes through the slander. The soldiers show up and they escort him, right? He is now uh, uh, on a boat because what happened is he went to trial again. And, and, and they said, listen, man, I don't even want to deal with this. Let me send you back to the court in Jerusalem. And Paul, through the Spirit of God, realized, you know what, that would not be a good idea because that's when the people are trying to kill me. So since I am a Roman citizen, I request to stand before Caesar for trial. So they had to put him on a boat and send them to Rome. Remember, God told him he's going to Rome. So he makes it through the slander. The soldiers show up. But now here come the storms. Did you know that life has storms? I'm sure you've experienced the storms of life. Did you know that all storms don't come from hell? Some of life's storms are allowed by your king to make you who he needs you to become for the assignment that's on your life. And 
Acts 27 and 13 says, when a light wind began blowing from the south, the sailors thought they could make it. So they pulled up anchor and sailed close to the shore of Crete. But the weather changed abruptly. Say, the weather could change at any moment. Everything could be going smooth, fine, and dandy, and then boom, the weather changes. And the wind of a typhoon, strength called a northeaster, burst across the island and blew us out to sea. Have you, can you imagine that? Like, y'all read your Bible way too fast. My man is on a boat and a hurricane show up and blows the boat. That's scary. I mean, really scary. Now, I can't swim, so the water, period, is scary. So the Northeaster blows them out to sea. The sailors couldn't turn the ship into the wind, so they gave up and let it run before the gale. The next day, as gale-force winds continued to batter the ship, the crew began throwing the cargo overboard. The following day, they even took some of the ship's gear and threw it overboard. Have you ever been in a storm? And you keep trying different strategies for the storm to cease and nothing works. Everything you knew to do, they throwing stuff over. They're trying to reposition the flags and reposition the stern and trying to do everything because they are sailors professionally. They say they first storm. So they're doing what they've been trained to do, what they know to do, and it didn't work. The storm wins. Verse 20 says, the terrible storm raged for many days, blotting out the sun and the stars until at last all hope was gone. It's pitch black outside now. They done did all they can do. They don't even see the star. No sun, no moon, just dark. They gave up. Has a storm ever hit you so hard that you want to give up? Say, forget it. Forget this church stuff. Forget these church people. If I'm going through hell, I might as well act like a hellion anyway. I know y'all too saved to ever have those types of thoughts. But for the two people online, we understand. This is a scary situation. All hope is gone, according to verse 20. no light nothing but darkness all around that's all I see it's dark I have no hope I have no answer I've tried everything that I know to do but we have to remember in the depth of despair that one can turn to something that could help in the midst of darkness and storms. When the storms show up and get you to the point of exasperation, the only thing you're going to have to hold on to is sustenance, food, the word of God. Whatever you have stored up is all that you're going to be able to cling on to when you get the unfavorable doctor's report. It's the only thing you're going to be able to hold on to when the marriage is falling apart. It's his word. The problem is how much do you have within you to grab onto 
when the storms of life come, we need sustenance. Check this out in the story. Right after they lost all hope. Now, this is Paul talking to them. Please eat something now for what? Your own good. See, they've been doing all of this, trying to fix the situation. Two weeks have gone by and they haven't eaten. They were so focused on the storm, they did not eat a thing. So now Paul is encouraging, guys, listen, listen, you got to eat for your own good. Why? For not a hair of your heads will perish. Then he took some bread, gave thanks to God before them all, and broke off a piece and ate it. Then everyone was encouraged, and all 26, excuse me, all 276 of us who were on board. Sometimes you're going through the same storm that others are going through, but because of your well of his word, you don't just provide hope for yourself, but you're able to provide hope for those that are with you on this journey. He said, not a hair on your head will perish. How is he able to say that when there's no light? How is he able to say that when they tried everything they knew to do? How is he able to say that when everybody else, 275 other people had quit and given up? the word of the Lord. God had told him, you're going to Rome. So it didn't matter about the circumstances that he was currently facing because he had a word over his life about what his future holds. You're going to bring the gospel to Rome, but you can only do that. You can only draw from what's inside you. So if you're not taking the time to eat, what's our food, the daily bread? What's the daily bread? The word of God. If you are not eating on a regular basis, when the storm shows up, you have nothing to draw from. And you'll give up too. Just like those 275 others. Because it's about we and not me. So not only does our well need to be filled up for us, but it needs to be filled up for the people that are connected to us. You know who else is on this boat? You hear it in first person. The writer of the book of Acts, Luke, is on the boat with them. And if they don't make it, we don't get Acts and we don't get Luke. Because there's some people connected to us that have purpose on their life too. So we got to make it so they can make it so that we all can make it. It's bigger than us. It's bigger than us. Matthew 4 and 4, Jesus told them, No, the scriptures say, please do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. We got to get our reverence for the word of God. Woo, I said, we got to get our reverence for 
the Word of God, if we saw it as a life-sustaining force, our Bibles wouldn't have so much dust. If we saw it as vital for our survival, it would be much higher on our priority list than it currently is. If we saw the Word of God for what it actually is, it keeps us together. So the, Paul makes it through the slander. Paul makes it through the storm. And you would think enough is enough. All right, listen, he done passed these tests. But the problem is now that he's made it through the slander, he's made it through the storms, now he's got to go through a shipwreck. The vessel that he was dependent upon to get him to his purpose falls apart. You been there? Have you... Have you ever been in a situation that you thought was forever? That you thought would get you to the destination that God showed you, but then the vessel doesn't make it. Then you have to rely on something because you were reliant on this vessel. You thought it was the degree you thought it was the relationship. You thought it was the job. You thought it was that parent. But vessels tend to fall apart. What's the lesson in there? We don't depend on the vessel. We depend on the vessel maker. Because if you made that vessel then he must have another vessel that he's going to use for the next part of your journey. But if all your hope was in this ship, when they take the name off the front of the church, if all your hope was in this ship, when the divorce papers arrived, you're going to go down with the ship. If your hope was in the ship instead of in the Savior. Where is your hope? Jesus is our firm foundation, not a job. Jesus is our provider, not a paycheck. Where And we're back. Your hope is in him. Verse 39, when morning dawned, they didn't recognize the coastline, but they saw a bay with a beach and wondered if they could get to shore by running the ship aground. So they cut off the anchors and left them in the sea. Then they lowered the rudders, raised the foresail, and headed toward shore. But they hit a shoal and ran the ship aground too soon. The bow of the ship stuck fast while the stern was repeatedly smashed by the force of the waves and began to break apart. These vessels 
these verses underline the importance of discernment and trust in the Lord in life's storms. Can you, can you imagine what's going through everybody's mind? As again, once again, they're using their skill set to try to avoid the crash, and they crash anyway. It's just invariably easier said than done to trust God when the chaos is right in your face. They really going down. I don't know if you know this, but sometimes my wife can be a bully. She's very nice. She's like Jesus' little play cousin. Like, she's really sweet. Sometimes she can be a bully. So on our honeymoon, we're both aware of the fact that I can't swim. And now you're aware of the fact that I can't swim. So she, you know, encourages me to go snorkeling. I said, what's that? I don't know about no, no snorkeling. And so she said, you can like put your face in the water and you can see the fish and the stuff. I said, we can go to the aquarium and do that. <laughs> right. Is this necessary? But you know, she's challenging, you know, I'm, I'm still in the army. I'm, I'm still a soldier. Like you ain't finna. <laughs> so I'm like, all right, you know, let's do it. Now I can't swim. So I'm thinking, you know, I did a little research and, you know, you're supposed to be on the shore and you walk out, you get to a certain depth and you put your face in and you see the stuff. Oh, but not this trip. No, no, no. We board a boat. I'm like, why do we need a boat to go snorkeling? And so this boat goes out into the Caribbean Ocean. This ain't no swimming pool. This ain't Lake Michigan. This is an ocean. And so we get to a certain point and it stops. I'm like, why are y'all stopping this boat? So they instruct us that we're supposed to jump off the boat, get off the boat, and, and go snorkeling. I'm like, hmm, 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 hmm. Water over here, water over here, water over here, water over here. I got my uh, life vest on. And Ty's like trying to come, like, it's going to be all right. You got the life vest. You're going to float. I'm like, I'm going to float. Like, I'm, this is going to keep me above. All right. So the instructor was like, you know, I'm watching people go. Like, you know, you sit on the thing. You sit on the edge of the, uh, of the boat, and you kind of push yourself off. Now, I'm terrified. I don't know how to swim in a swimming pool let alone the ocean. So she done pumped me with this little trip. So I'm like, oh, you know what? All right. <laughs> so now when I'm afraid of something, I just got to deal with it. We ain't finna ease into this thing. So I don't sit down and scoot. I jump. I say, look, there's only, only one way this is going to happen. So I jump in, and I go down. I can taste the salt water in my mouth. Now, in my mind, she told me that I'm going to float. 
but I am now currently under the water. And what happened was, see, when I was about five years old, I had about three swimming lessons at the YMCA. And at that moment, all three of them lessons came back to my mind. And I just started, ah, 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 ah. And then I get to a certain point where I realize I'm not underwater no more. But then I stop, and I'm floating. But the ship is way over there. <laughs> because all three of my YMCA swimming lessons had me swim very far away from the boat. What's the point? When the ship wrecks, just start swimming. The only way you're going to drown is if you stand still and allow yourself to go under. You have to swim, even if you don't know how, even if you don't do it perfectly, even if you don't know how to quote the scripture in the King James Version, you just got to keep moving, baby. You got to keep going. There's a word over your life, and it will come to pass if you keep moving. You have to start swimming. Sometimes life hits you and you, you can't even find the words to pray. But what you can do is sit in his presence and say, Lord, I don't even know what to say. But Lord, I'm here. You may not know 10, 12, 20 verses. But you can say, they that wait on the Lord. You shall renew their strength. Lord, I need strength. If you just, if you just swim, even if it's imperfect, even if your form is a little off, if you keep moving, the Lord will touch you. He will touch your effort. And next thing you know, this person who couldn't swim has swam for yards and miles. And your life still is making progress, even if the vessel gets destroyed. You have to start swimming. So if you're following along in this Lifetime movie that we've been watching of the Apostle Paul, he had to endure slander, and then he had to endure storms. Then he had to endure shipwreck, and he made it. Through all of these tests and these trials, he swims to shore. What I didn't tell you was that Petty P showed up again. Because before they even got on the boat, the Apostle Paul gave them a word that says, Guys, I don't think this is a good idea. I think this is going to turn out pretty bad. And they didn't listen to Paul. They listened to the captain of the ship because they thought he knew better. Another lesson for another time. But then the storm shows up and Petty P says, y'all should have listened to me. No, it's in the Bible. He says, y'all should have listened to me and we wouldn't have been in this mess. But take heart. I've heard from the Lord again. The man of God is here. He's Petty. I'm telling you, you're going to start to see Petty P. Next time you read your Bible. 
And he encouraged them and said, the Lord has shown me that this ship is going down. That's a fact. But none of us are going to perish. Now, for a split second, they didn't believe him again. And so some of the crew, they started to get on the lifeboat because they thought the lifeboat was going to bring them to safety. And Paul Little said, if you get on that lifeboat, you're going to die. So they said, you know, we ain't listened to this joke last time. We're going to listen. So they, they said, get off that boat. Cut the boat. And everything he said would happen, happened. The ship broke, now they're swimming. Some of them got to the land by swimming. Some of them were holding on to broken pieces of the ship, but everybody made it. What if your ability to keep swimming brings deliverance to everybody around you too? It would be worth the effort, wouldn't it? If everything you're going through isn't just for your endurance, but provides strength to the people you love, the people you work with, your neighbor. What if everybody's life was blessed because you endured the shipwreck and decided to keep swimming? So he swam. He gets to the shore of, a, of an island called Malta. And the people were very gracious and very kind to him. And they made a fire for him and for everybody that was there. Here it is in Acts 28. We're almost done. Once we were safe on shore, we learned that we were on the island of Malta. Say the island of Malta. The people of the island were very kind to us. It was cold. It was rain. Of course, it was a hurricane. So they built a fire on the shore to welcome us. As Paul gathered an armful of sticks and was laying them on the fire, a poisonous snake driven out by the heat bit him on the hand. The people of the island saw it hanging from his hand and said to each other, I know you lying. A murderer, no doubt, though he escaped the sea. Justice will not permit him to live. After all that, Paul is like wet, it's dark, it's cold, it's rainy. He's just trying to get warm. And here comes this snake. What's crazy is we don't hear no words from Paul. <laughs> we don't hear ouch. We don't hear, I can't believe this is happening to me. We don't hear nothing. We just hear the chatter of the other people. Look at this. Oh, see? Karma. He's a murderer. Yeah, he swam to shore. Yeah, he made it through that storm. Did you know you got people who are looking at you, try your best to get through that storm, and even when you make it, they're looking at you like, mm -hmm, let's see. Let's see what's real. Let's see if this little conversion, this little surrender to Jesus, this little prayer they prayed is real. Let's see. Boom, more trouble. Uh, the Bible said it wasn't just a snake. It was a poisonous snake. Other versions said it's a viper that bit his hand, was hanging from his hand. Listen, I don't like snakes. I, listen, I see things when I read the Bible. I feel like as I'm standing right now, my hand hurts. I'm imagining looking at a snake on my hand. I'm freaking out. I'm screaming. 
probably really high-pitched loud scream, running in a circle. But Paul is just there and the thing is just hanging. The people around just talking about him. So what do you do when you make it through the slander? You make it through the storms. You make it through the shipwreck. You finally trying to get yourself together. Like, whoo, man, whoo, made it through that season. And boom, snake on your hand. Life bites you again. That once diagnosis that was told was in remission. Now they're saying it's back. You and your boo went through counseling. Things got better than things got worse. Snake hanging on your hand. You lose the job, got the job, another layoff. Life bites you again. By now, you might think that Paul is saying enough. This is, a, listen, Paul's not, Paul is a man. He is not an X-man. He is a regular human being with regular emotions and feelings. Everybody's got their limit. And Paul currently has a viper on his hand. You would think he would give up. But the next verse says, Paul shook the snake off. Into the fire and was unharmed. Paul ain't screamed. Paul ain't cursed nobody out like y'all do. Paul ain't turned his back on Jesus like y'all do. He didn't blame God like we do. He just said, why? Because God told him he got to get to Rome. I know that that's a poisonous snake, but God said, I have to get to Rome. I know that that diagnosis is real, but God says, I have to get to Rome. I know that these layoffs are real, but God says I have to get to Rome. So no matter how real this current snake looks, it's not the final say. I have to get to Rome. Stand up real quick, real quick, real quick. Stand up, stand up, stand up, stand up, stand up. Stand up. I'm way past time. Come on, put your hand out. Put your hand out. Come on, prophetic act. Put your hand out. Ball it up. There's a snake on it, like it's a snake on it. This is the current trouble you walked in here with. This is the current diagnosis that you are battling. This is the current question mark that you don't have an answer from God from, and it hurts. It looks poisonous. It looks dangerous. It looks like it's going to take you out. You got to shake it off because there's a word over your life. You're not here on accident. Even if you're here just trying to check things out, it still was not an accident. You're here on purpose, even with a snake hanging off your hand right now. 
even with an addiction that you can't shake yet. I know how real it looks, but it's not realer than the word of God. It's not realer than the power of God. It's not realer than the spirit of God. So when I count to three, you're just going to do what the apostle Paul did. With that real poisonous, death-giving snake on his hand, without a word, without a complaint, without an inquiry to heaven, he saw that fire and he shook it off and he was unharmed. Here's what the Lord wants you to know. When you shake it off, you're going to be unharmed. One, come on, be serious now. This is what the enemy's trying to been using to stop you. That viper that's currently hanging off your hand. One, two, three, shake it off. In Jesus' name, you will be unharmed. You will be unharmed. You will be unharmed. Sit down, sit down, sit down. I got one point and then you can go home. Now that you've shaken the snake off, now that you're unharmed, there's one last thing that the Lord wants you to do. When he brings you through the slander, when he brings you through the storm, when he brings you through the shipwreck, when he brings you through the snake bite, there's a purpose for it. You didn't go through all of this for nothing. No, no, no. Everything that God has for you is on purpose and for a purpose. And so he has this idea in mind. No matter what, your particular gifting is, no matter what your particular call is, no matter what your particular lane is that you're supposed to run in, there's one goal, salvation. After you make it through the slander and God sends his soldiers, after you make it through the storms, even though it's scary. Even though it's real and you find yourself pulling on the sustenance that's in you or your strength and then you endure shipwreck and you start swimming and then the snake bites you and you shake it off. The point each step was salvation. Can I take it a little further? It's not just yours. It's for a people that you don't yet know. Remember, 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 Paul's hand was bitten by a poisonous viper. His hand, say his hand, was bitten by a poisonous viper. And then verse 8, something, something amazing happened. Because after Paul shook the snake off, them same people that were saying, oh, he dead, said, oh, 
He's a God. Oh, there's something different about him. Wait, he made it through that unharmed? That should have killed him. But it made him better? Oh, there's something different about them. So they changed their tune, and then verse 8 shows up. Because after his hand was bitten, and he shook the snake off, it says, as it happened, because there was a leader by the name of Publius, and his father was ill with fever and dysentery. Some versions say that he was ill unto death. Paul went in and prayed for him and laying his what? His hand. Very place that the enemy attacks was the very tool that God was going to use to bring healing to a region. See, your finances are under attack because God wants you to learn the stewardship principles that you can use to heal other people. God is attacking your marriage because together you all are an unstoppable force in the kingdom to bring hope to other marriages. The very place that he attacked was the very tool that God used to save a people that he did not know. You want to know why they're attacking us and calling us crazy for doing this? Because there are people who we don't know who will find hope and salvation through what we are doing in this church. The very place that he attacks is the very tool that God uses to bring salvation. We can stand. I just want to ask you to Relax. Clear your mind for a second. Because I want to make a prophetic announcement for Purpose City Church. If, if this is your church home, if you're not sure, then uh, I'm not really talking to you, but <laughs> I love you. Thank God for you. Thank you for coming. Um, but if this is your home, here's the prophetic announcement. Welcome to Malta. God told me to tell you, welcome to Malta. Paul was on his way to Rome. He wasn't on his way to Malta. But through slander, through storms, through shipwreck, he landed at the shores of Malta. And God wanted you and I to know that, yeah, Rome is on our life. Rome is on our future. But where are we, church, Purpose City? We are at Malta. God has brought us here through various circumstances, less than ideal, because he has this region in mind. Hold your hand in the air, and he's going to use your hand. He's going to use my hand. He's going to use our hands to heal a region called Fox Valley. Welcome to Malta. That's your current assignment. That's what you should be praying for. This city, this region, this house. We have arrived at the shores of Malta, a.k.a. Fox Valley region. 
And there is an expectation that we don't just come and have church, but that we become the church and we take the church to this region and we bring hope, we bring healing, we bring help to this land. Because as this story goes on, Paul does not just lay his hands on Publius's father, but because he used his hand to bring healing to Publius's father, the Bible says every sick person on that island was brought to him. And he laid his hand and healed every last one. He went through all of that to be sent to this island that was not on his charted journey to bring healing to the entire region. That's why you're here. That's why we're here. We all got here through different circumstances, but we're all here together. And God said over Purpose City, welcome to Malta. We have work to do in this region. So that's going to require you to delete your ego. That's going to require you to open your hearts to something new. Because we're not doing it for no reason. We're doing it because there's a word over our life. There's a word over this church. And we got to do what he's telling us to do. Let that settle just for a second. It's red, please. Like, don't just let it go on one ear and out the other. We have a specific purpose in this specific season that requires all of us to be in position to do the work. Thank you for being part of today's episode. To stay connected, please visit us at PurposeCityChurch.com. Don't forget to subscribe and share this podcast with your loved ones. Your support means the world to us. As you go about your day, remember to make a meaningful difference in the world. Thanks for listening.